Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Today, as we wrap up our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to consider the passage that was just read. And since this is a passage that encourages us, challenges us really to approach our walk with God the way an athlete approaches competition, I decided this week that I would interview an athlete, uh, maybe the, the serious athlete that I know better than anyone else. And that would be my son, Riley. Some of you know him. Some of you love him. But uh, in 2017, uh, he competed in an Ironman competition in Madison, Wisconsin. In case you don't know, an Ironman is a triathlon, uh, three events. And so you start off by swimming 2.4 miles, not in a pool, but in open water. And you get out of the lake, and then you get on a bike, and you cycle for... 112 miles, and then you get off the bike, and you put on your running shoes, and you run a marathon, okay, 140.6 miles. And so simply finishing an Ironman, I think, is an unbelievable accomplishment for anybody, but it was a special accomplishment for Riley because a year and a half earlier, he had blown out his knee. He was playing basketball behind farmhouse, and he tore his ACL. So he had to have ACL surgery, meniscus repair, and all the rehab that goes with it. And while he was in the middle of recovery, uh, he watched a couple of his friends compete in an Ironman. And even though the longest he had ever run at one time in his life was four miles, he decided that he was going to get in shape and train and compete in an Ironman. And so uh, he just had this desire. He said he wanted to prove to himself that he could do it. He wanted to rehab and come back stronger than he was before his injury. And so Riley did a bunch of reading online. By the way, he gave me permission to talk about all this. But he did a bunch of reading online about how to train for an Ironman. But mainly, he just started running and swimming and biking. And uh, he didn't really follow a plan you know, very, very closely. He didn't train for near as long as you're supposed to. He only trained for six or seven months, but he trained well enough to finish this Ironman. And since then, he's competed in, in numerous other triathlons of different, differing lengths. Uh, he ran the Oklahoma City Marathon, and earlier this year, he competed and completed an ultra marathon, which is running 50 miles, not in a month, but in a day, okay? And so uh, now when he trains for an event, he creates a very structured plan and he follows it to a T, okay? He was home with us for, for eight weeks this summer and as I watched him, I just kept thinking, who is this child? I mean, where did he get all this drive and this discipline? He didn't get it from me, athletically at least. 
I uh, probably got it from, from Brenda, his mom. She was a gymnast in high school, and she, she was a gymnast at KU and all that. But I talked to Riley this week. I, I, we Zoomed, and, and uh, I quizzed him about the mindset of an athlete. I wanted to try to understand it better in light of this passage. And a couple things he said really stood out to me. And the first thing he talked about was, was really single-mindedness. He didn't use that term, but that's what he was talking about. He talked about you have to be focused, you have to follow a plan, you have to be willing to make sacrifices. Uh, he talked about one Friday night, he was preparing for this, this ultra marathon, and a bunch of his friends were hanging out, something he loves to do, very, very social kid. Uh, but his training schedule said that the next morning he needed to run 20 miles, okay? So he had to decide, yeah, I can't hang out with my friends tonight because of what's scheduled for tomorrow. And so that's the mindset of an athlete. You have to, it's not always deciding between good and bad. It's deciding between what's good and what's strategic. And in our walks with God, we're going to have to do the same thing. Sometimes we have to choose between good and evil, but many times we have to choose between something that's good to invest our time in, our energy in, and what's strategic for our walks with God. We can't do everything. We're not omni-anything, so we have to make those choices. We have to be single-minded. The other thing that stood out to me is that, that Riley said, uh, you have to know your why. You have to be very clear on why you are competing, or else it's just too easy to compromise, give up, take shortcuts. And so some people compete because they want to find out what they're made of. Some people compete because uh, they, want to, they want to represent their school or their country well. Some people compete in honor of someone that they love. But knowing your why is motivation when the training gets tough. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. Paul is very clear about his why. We sang it in this song, we've been bought with a price. Paul said, said, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Paul, he said, the love of Christ controls us, the dominant influence in his life. He had been hunted down by God. He had been saved by God. He didn't deserve a single bit of it. He had been called. He'd been given this assignment. And that why kept him going his entire, his entire Christian life. And so what we see from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, is that we should approach our walk with God the way an athlete approaches competition. You and I will not have a strong, uh, strong, vibrant walk with God by accident any more than an athlete by accident happens to become elite. Walking with God requires us to be intentional, disciplined. It will require sacrifices, tough choices, and we will need to know our why. We won't just do a bunch of Christian things because that's what the pastor said or that's what mom told me to do. No, we, we will understand what God is calling us to do. And by the way, if you don't really connect with athletic imagery, uh, go look at 2 Timothy 2. He not only mentions an athlete, he also mentions a soldier in active duty. He also mentions a hardworking farmer. And so all these images are talking about the same basic idea. Every worthwhile endeavor requires discipline and intentionality. Notice the challenge in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners 
run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. So he's making an obvious point here. In a race, in a competition, only one person crosses the finish line first. There's one winner. In a sense, everybody else loses the race. Paul says, notice the person who crosses the line first. Imitate that person. Run in that way. And he's obviously not implying that in the Christian life there's only one winner and everybody else is losers. He's saying, no, in the Christian life, you have to compete like a successful athlete. You have to compete. You have to have have that mindset. Just as there are wise and foolish ways to run a race, there are wise and foolish ways to live the Christian life. Verse 25, he explains more specifically what he's thinking. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Not just a few things, but in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. imperishable. And so a good athlete will evaluate every aspect of his or her life in light of the goal. And so, for example, in, in Paul's day, uh, they might ask questions like, like this. So what is the best diet for a distance runner versus a boxer? Or what is the best weight training uh, for a javelin thrower versus a wrestler? And so you're very strategic, very, very focused on the competition. And Paul's point is that if athletes discipline themselves for a wreath or a medal or a prize, that's perishable. Doesn't mean it's insignificant, but it's perishable. It doesn't last forever. It will will be gone at some point. How much more should we exercise discipline? Not just in a few things, but evaluating every area of our lives for an imperishable prize. And so the godliness that we gain in this life and the spiritual rewards that await us in the next life, they have eternal consequence. And Paul's saying that our discipline ought to be proportional to the value of what we're pursuing. And so again, Paul had this sense. Paul, Paul, said, Paul had this mindset. You can read it in, in Philippians 3. He said, this one thing I do, not these 10 things I dabble at, this one thing I do, I forget what lies, lies behind, and I, I run the race before me. I press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he understood the inestimable value, value of everything he was pursuing, and that was his why. He was bought with a price, therefore he sought to glorify God in all things. His life was not his own. Verse 26, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Good runners don't enter a competition thinking, I want to get the most amount of exercise I possibly can during this race. (laughs) They want to be efficient. The goal is to cross the line first. And boxers don't just swing wildly hoping their fist, you know, uh, somebody walks into a punch. No, they, they don't box beating the air. And so Paul was very intentional about the way he lived, very focused on the prize. And verse 27 stops me in my tracks, honestly. And and if you're wise, it will stop you in your tracks as well. Paul's perhaps the most zealous, spiritually mature person besides Jesus that ever walked the planet. And yet this is how he thought about himself. This This is what 
his concern was for himself. He says, but I buffet my body and I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. The word buffet carries the idea of bruising someone or beating someone black and blue. And so Paul's speaking figuratively here. He's not, didn't literally beat himself up. But the idea is that he didn't give himself a pass. He, he was stern with himself. He consciously trained and disciplined his body. Why? So that his body would be his slave. Paul wanted to be in a position where he told his body what to do. Body, this is what we're going to do next. Versus his body telling him what to do. Instead of his body having this desire and saying, hey, I want this. Go do this. And you say, okay. No, he wanted his body to be his slave. And so the point is, any athlete knows this. Unless you, you, you discipline yourself, in our case, for godliness, our bodies will carry out the desires of the flesh instead of the, the desires of the spirit. Our tongues will say things that are unkind and bitter and cutting. Our feet will run toward evil as opposed to fleeing from evil. Our eyes will gaze at things that they shouldn't. And so if we don't make our bodies our slaves, we will be enslaved to our bodies. And understand, our, the body is not bad. We're, we're, we're not Gnostics. We don't believe that the, the spiritual is good and the material is bad. No, we, God pronounced this very good when he created us. Our bodies are not evil, but our bodies can do evil. So in, in Romans 6.13, Paul said, do not present the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. And so um, Paul was very aware very sober-mindedly aware of the possibility that he could be used greatly by God and still lose the race in the sense of being disqualified. Not in an absolute sense, but in the sense of no longer, no longer being usable, uh, useful to God. And so after investing the best years of his life telling others the gospel, explaining to them, you can be born from above, you can get in this race. After spending the best years of his, his life explaining to people how they can run the race, Paul knew that if he didn't maintain his own discipline, he could be disqualified. And there are elite athletes all down through the ages who have accomplished amazing things and yet at the end of their career been disqualified in some way. And so we aren't told what type of sins or what type of disqualifiers Paul had in mind here, but I think everything's on the table. I was talking with a friend about this this week, and he said, yeah, Paul probably had, had real concerns about the lusts of the flesh. You can read about the desires of the flesh in Galatians 5. I think everything was on the table. He was concerned about it all. I'm especially intrigued about four chapters later in 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about something that could actually disqualify a person could actually make all of their efforts, all of their gift, giftedness uh, worth nothing, unprofitable. And that's a lack of love. He said, you can have amazing gifts. You can have knowledge. You can have faith. You can do all sorts of heroic, sacrificial things. And yet, if you don't have love, 
zero. It's worth zero in the spiritual realm. And so Paul paid attention to things like, am I loving? And he said, love is patient, love is kind. So Paul paid attention to things like, uh, am, I, am I unkind? Am I, am I uh, uh, let me, you'll get it here so I get it right. Uh, Paul paid attention to whether or not he was jealous, whether he held grudges, whether he was arrogant toward people. Those are the types of things that would disqualify. So if you don't love, you're spiritually ineffective. And so if someone like Paul approached his walk with God like an athlete approaches competition, someone like Paul, how much more should I, how much more should all of us have this mindset in our walk with God? And so I want to ask you straight up, present tense, right now, uh, is it your commitment, is it your conviction that you need to approach your walk with God this way? Present tense, are you running to win? Or would you say, quite honestly, yeah, no, I'm pretty aimless, I'm pretty careless in the way I'm living my life? The feedback we've gotten from, from quite a few of you about this 21 days of prayer and fasting is that you found it spiritually beneficial because it's helped you approach your walk with God in a disciplined, intentional way. Uh, you have practiced these core spiritual disciplines that people have practiced for millennia. Uh, and you've practiced things like uh, meditating on scripture, prayer, and fasting. Some of you have gotten very, very clear about your why. Instead of just doing Christian things, you said, I'm seeking God because I have this area of my life where I have to have freedom. I have to have uh, fruitfulness. No longer am I going to consider it. Am I going to be, am I going to waste this area of my life? And so you found it to be profitable for the last 21 days. My next question is, What's your plan for the next 21 days? Or what's your plan for the rest of 2020? Our strong encouragement to you is to settle in your heart and settle in your mind that you will continue walking with God in a disciplined, intentional way. And again, nobody else can do this for you, okay? Faithy Free can't do this for you. Your parents can't abide in Christ for you. This is something you have to do. This is something you have to own. And, and please understand, we're not earning anything here. It's all grace. But grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. In, in all endeavors that are worth something, our effort is required. And so some of you might return to the, the plan, the discipline plan that you were, were walking in before these 21 days. Others of you may need some real help. And so uh, no shame in that. We're providing some resources uh, to you about this, just some basic ideas about how to seek God through the disciplines. And so if you have registered for the 21 days, tomorrow morning you will get an email with a, a list of these resources. If you didn't, uh, check out the e-blast on Tuesday. We'll, we'll give you a link there as well. But just some simple plans, simple ideas for scripture, prayer, fasting, seeking God in community. But here's the perspective. 
Spiritual disciplines are time-tested ways to approach our walks with God the way an athlete approaches competition. One thing, when I was talking to, uh, to Riley this week, it, it occurred to me, and it was clear from what Riley told me, is that if you are internally motivated to compete, if you're internally motivated to run the race, you move toward discipline, you move toward training, you don't run from it. And you don't bellyache, do I really have to train? Do I really have to watch what I eat, my sleep, my physiology, all these things? No, it's just obvious. If your goal is worth it, well, of course you're going to move toward discipline and, and training. And in a similar way, if we really want to be disciples of Jesus who experience freedom and fruitfulness, we will just naturally move toward spiritual disciplines and toward training. And so, for example, we won't ask questions like, do I have to fast? I've been fasting this 21 days. I've given up something I really enjoy. Do I have to do that anymore? No, you won't ask that question. You'll ask questions like, uh, does fasting from something permissible for a period of time, does it help me humble my heart before God? Does it help remind me that I am desperate for God to do something that I could never pull off on my own? If the answer is yes, then you'll say, wow, if this is going to help me run the race, if this will help me win the prize, then of course I'll engage in fasting. If it's an asset, yes. I love what Mark Batterson said. I've heard I've said it before, but mentioned it before. But he says, if, if prayer is walking on a sidewalk, Prayer and fasting is walking on a moving sidewalk. It will help you get where you want to go faster. It will accelerate your seeking after God. Or we won't ask, do I have to read my Bible every day, like it's some punishment or some, some uh, big uh, burden? No, we'll ask questions like, well, reading Scripture and pondering it deeply Will it help me abide in Christ and help his word abide in me so I can experience freedom, so I can experience fruitfulness? And if the answer is yes, then you won't miss it unless you absolutely have to. Uh, what we really do, we do daily. Or we won't ask the question, do I have to join a life group? Do I have to do Rooted? Do I have to get together with Christian friends? Well, uh, we, we, won't, we won't ask questions like, do I have to pray with people? We'll ask questions like, how can I best live in community, the way Brian talked about last week? Uh, how can I best live out these one another's of Scripture that are so vital for me and for others? We'll realize, you know, you can't really do the one another's without others, Right? And so we will move toward community as opposed to thinking about groups or relationships as an obligation. And so that's the mindset of the disciplines. And one other thing I want you to, to, to notice is that people who engage these basic spiritual disciplines in faith, with the spirit of repentance, in community, they will experience so much grace from God. And that's what the disciplines do. They welcome, they invite the grace of God. They will experience so much grace that they become gracious people. 
they experience so much grace that they can't get, keep it all for them. So they just can't. It's like rivers of living water that come up out and flow onto other people. People that really excel in these disciplines with the, with the mind of Christ. You don't have to beg them to serve other people. You don't have to beg them to encourage people. Please, will we just give 10 minutes of your week to do something for somebody else? You, you don't have to do that. They just naturally give grace to others, and they help others run the race. I want to illustrate this by, by uh, telling you a couple things that Brenda and I experienced when we went to Madison with Riley for this, this uh, Ironman competition three years ago. And it was actually an awe-inspiring day. The competition began at 7 a.m. And the elite uh, triathletes, the professional triathletes, uh, they started in the first wave of people. They, going into the water, it was like minnows in a bucket. I mean, they were just splashing around everywhere. They went off, and every five minutes, they send off another, another group of competitors. And these elite athletes, uh, many of them finished the entire Ironman before others even started their marathon, which is the last event. And that was impressive. That was impressive. But I was more impressed at what else these elite athletes did and what many of the middle-of-the-pack athletes did as well. There was one group of triathletes that were so well-trained, and they were so compassionate that they were paired with a disabled athlete. There were some of these, some of these athletes, they swam 2.4 miles pulling someone on a raft tied to them. They got out of the water, and they biked 112 miles with someone in a trailer behind them. And then they ran a marathon, pushing someone else in a cart, basically a, a beefed-up wheelchair. Ran a marathon that way. One of the reasons that you and I need to approach the Christian life the way an athlete approaches competition is that there are times when you will need to carry someone else. There will be people in your life, you can probably think of them right now, they need to hang on to your faith. You need to carry them through a dark time in their life. The other group that impressed me were those who had crossed the finish line early afternoon, mid-afternoon. Again, it started at 7 a.m. They finished after 7, 8, 9, 10 hours, but they stayed or they came back late at night to cheer on those who were trying to beat the cutoff time, which was midnight. It's 17 hours to finish this thing. And the last few blocks of the course in downtown Madison, they were lined with competitors. And they were lined with spectators who were cheering on those that were hobbling to the finish line. Some of them were almost crawling to the finish line at 11.30, 11.45, at midnight. And those athletes that stayed and cheered on those that were, could barely make it, they knew better than anybody else the cost of running the race. They knew the price that they were paying. Their encouragement was more valuable than anybody else. One of the reasons that you and I need to approach the Christian life like a successful athlete approaches competition is that there are people 
in your life who need to know that it is worth it not to give up. It is worth it not to drop out of the race and just quit altogether. You will be able to give them that encouragement. You will be a powerful force, spiritual force in their life like nobody else if you run the race well. Heavenly Father, this is what we desire. God, we we know that we can't earn a single thing. We believe Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, and we are exhibit A. We, We are that. We are sinners saved by grace. But God, we recognize that our effort is required. God, give us the desire to run this race well. Give us the desire to discipline ourselves and to train, to have this mindset we've been talking about today. God, may it never be a burden. May it never seem as an imposition to our otherwise busy, important lives. God, may we be single-minded. May we make sacrifices, joyfully sacrifice, because you, God, are worth it. Jesus is worthy. The spirit within us, we don't want to quench. We don't want to, we won't want to frustrate. We won't, won't, don't want to grieve that spirit. And so, God, give us the grace we need to run well and teach us much along the way. We pray that those who are struggling, those who are considering giving up, might find renewed courage, renewed hope through us. In Jesus' name, amen.